Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Probably the most uh, famous section of Jonah because we get to look at the proverbial whale today. It's going to be an interesting adventure because we're going to we're going to go on a ride with an Old Testament 8th century prophet who's on the run from the Lord who's going to take this uh, deep sea plunge in the belly of a very great fish and we're going to see God do a work in his heart. So let's pray that God would do a work in our heart as we look at his word this morning. Father, thank you for revealing yourself through your word. And thank you for giving us your spirit, God. We are so dependent Upon him, and we ask that you would change our hearts this morning as a result of being exposed to your word. Would you expose our hearts for who we are, desperate, needy sinners, and then would you cause our eyes to see how wonderful your son is in all of his glory and all that he is for us in the gospel message? And may we believe it this morning and leave here today transformed and leave here with hearts full of joy because of how merciful and gracious you are. Do that now, we ask, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the movie Titanic. I love the movie. I think it's a great story. There's, so I just love the movie in general. But some of the reasons that I love the movie Titanic is because of the, the place in my life when it came out. Heather and I were newlyweds. Um, we had this uh, carefree, almost responsibility-free era uh, in our lives at this time. I and mean, we had jobs. We worked. She was in school. I worked. But we had no kids so we could go to Starbucks when we wanted to, and to the bookstore. We could stay up late. We could go to the movies and dinner. It was such a great time in our life. Wow, will you let me just go back there for a moment? But I also love it because I'd begun working for a lighting company and they had just wrapped up, uh, they had done a lot of the lighting for the movie Titanic. And so the equipment that we had was very popular. Hollywood couldn't wait to get their hands on it. So there was a lot of a buzz in the air about our product. It was an exciting time to be working in Hollywood. So I love everything about Titanic. It takes me back to a great place in my life. But I have one beef with Titanic. Rose totally hogged that like floating bed frame thing that she was on and she should have scooted over and let Jack get on with her so that he wouldn't have drowned. Anybody with me? Here's proof that there was room for Jack. Look at this. (laughs) Clearly there was plenty of room for two people. Now none of that has anything to do with Jonah. But thanks for letting me go back to a time in my life that I really enjoyed. I love my life now. And and for letting me vent about Rose because I have issues with her, okay? The reality is that it does have something to do with Jonah because Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is not like Rose. He does not let his people go when they're sinking away from him. Jonah has been on a descent Things are going south 
for him. He is about to hit rock bottom. Remember, he went down to Joppa, the text told us. He went down into a boat. He went down into the lower chambers of the boat. He went down into the sea that we saw last week. And this week, he will go down into the belly of a great fish who will take him to the bottom of the ocean, to Sheot to the pit, to death. Down, down, down. Jonah is on the run from the Lord, but the Lord will not let him go. Our big idea today is this, that no matter how far south things or people go, the sovereign Lord is there and he is willing to work to bring about redemption. It doesn't matter how bad things get in your life, God is there. So don't give up, look up to him. Look at verse 17 with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here we see Yahweh's relentless grace at work. His great love for Jonah is moving him to action. And we see the Lord's sovereign control of all of creation including Jonah himself. And we see that God is using creation to get Jonah's attention, to bring him back to the Lord, to continue the process of transformation and eventually for the Ninevites as well. Now, notice at the beginning and end of this section, we have the sovereign Lord at work. In verse 17, it says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says that Yahweh told the great fish to spit Jonah out on to dry land. Remember, Jonah wanted control of his life, and here is the sovereign Lord who says, no, no, Jonah, I'm the one in control, and I control all of creation, and I will use everything in creation at my disposal in order to arrest your attention and bring you back to me. There's something very interesting in the Hebrew text here that I want to point out to you. We are meant to picture Jonah sinking in, in slow motion. It's like if this was a movie, everything would, the, the cameras would slow down and you would see Jonah descending. Uh, there is a strong pausal accent here in, in the Hebrew text right in the middle of the verse. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then you get this, it's called an athnok. It's this, it's this accent in the Hebrew language, and it gives you a clue to slow down and think about what's happening, to pause. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And you're to pause there in the middle of that verse and think about it. The same accent is used in Genesis 3.24 when it speaks of Adam and Eve's dismissal from the garden of of Eden by the Lord. After they had sinned, it says, he drove out the man. And then you get the pausal accent because you're supposed to think about what has just transpired. In fact, in Genesis 3.24, it says that they... He drove out man. It's the same word used in Jonah 2.4 when Jonah says, I've been driven away from your sight. You are meant to pause and think here. In Genesis 3, whoa, the Lord drove out Adam and Eve. And you are meant to pause and think here when you read that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You're supposed to stop and say, wow, God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
I believe that the author inserts this little puzzle accent for a reason to highlight the relentless grace of the Lord. Even after Jonah ran away in clear defiance of Yahweh's commandment, after he refused to fulfill his job description as prophet, after he almost cost the lives of the innocent pagan sailors, the Lord sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah, not to be fish food, but to be saved. In spite of being stubborn and recalcitrant, Jonah receives mercy. The fish is not a form of legal punishment for Jonah. The fish serves as a life preserver. The fish swallows up Jonah. Not that the fish might say, Mmm, that tastes great. That human being was awesome. I give it five stars. The fish swallows Jonah to save him from drowning and to save him from death. In fact, the Hebrew word for swallowed here does not normally carry the negative sense that it carries. Like in Numbers 16 with the rebellion of Korah, it says the earth swallowed up those in rebellion. It's not used in that negative way here. Here it's used positively. The swallowing was not for digestion, but for salvation. See, no matter how far south things or people go, the sovereign Lord is there and he is willing to bring, to work to bring about redemption. So don't give up. Look up to him. Verse 17 says that Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This word occurs several times throughout the book of Jonah. The Lord appoints a fish, a plant, a worm, the sun, and the wind. Each time, the Lord is using a different part of his creation as a means to get Jonah's attention, to work to bring about redemption and transformation in his life. So understand this. God will use any means at his disposal in order to get your attention and to continue transforming you. He knows the appropriate means and situations and people that he will use to capture your heart to bring you back to him. For Jonah, it was, I need to get you into the belly of a fish for three days and three nights that I might get your attention, Jonah, and begin working on your heart. For you and me, it might be something completely different. But make no bones about it. God is intent on transforming you, bringing you back to him. He loves you that much that he will not ignore you and let you go. That's grace. It's transforming grace. It's relentless grace because the Lord loves us so much. I kind of picture it like a vacation brochure produced by the Lord here. Enjoy three days and nights in the heart of the Mediterranean Sea, a magnificent deep sea diving adventure surrounded by the sights, sounds, and smells of the ocean. Swim with whales and dolphins and other exotic sea creatures. Body surf your way back to the beach. But the reality is that it's not a vacation for Jonah. The phrase three days and three nights was an expression that really meant you're, you're as good as dead. There's no hope of coming back. But Yahweh is not through with Jonah. He wants to transform him. So after three days and three nights in the luxurious belly of the fish, Jonah prays. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, 
from the belly of the fish. Now, we may be tempted to throw Jonah under the bus here. We may be tempted to think, sure, Jonah, now you're going to repent. Now that the Lord has crushed you and brought you to your knees, you want to cry out for mercy and forgiveness. But lest we begin to think this way about Jonah, let us realize that we do the same thing too, don't we? We turn from the Lord. We run from him. He grabs us by the collar through various situations. And then once we crack under the pressure of his love, we repent. He brings us back. We all do. So don't throw Jonah under the bus here. Don't throw him over the side of the boat. Jonah is us. This is a mirror. We see ourselves here. We are Jonah. And God is God. Merciful, gracious, and long-suffering with sinners who run from him. Picture Jonah sinking in the water. Suddenly he's swallowed up by this great fish and he wakes up in a dark, smelly belly. And what does he do? He doesn't wallow in being swallowed. He prays. It's what we should all do when things go south in our life. Before we look at Jonah's prayer, let me make a few observations. People want to question the validity of this story. They argue that there's no way a human being could be swallowed up by some great whale or some fish and survive three days and three nights. So they say this can't be true. Although he's now with the Lord. Pastor James Boyce said that he had, there was a story I read in his commentary that they in fact found a fisherman who had fell off a boat and some people caught a great fish later, cut it open and found the man unconscious but alive. So it's possible. I don't know whether that story is true or not. All I know is it says here that a fish swallowed him. So I'm going to go with God's word. Second thing I want to point out is that some people want to say this is a parable and not a true story. Okay, I'm going to take issue with that from a literary perspective. Parables are often short. The characters are nameless. We have a book here with a man. And Jesus seemed to believe that Jonah was real because he talks about Jonah in Matthew 12, Matthew 16, and Luke 11. So who are we going to go with here? Critical scholars or Jesus? I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. Jesus believed the story of Jonah actually happened, so I'm going with Jesus. The third thing to point out is that people want to focus on what was happening inside the belly of the fish. Could he have survived? Could he have lived? They focus on what was happening inside the belly of the fish, and they lose sight of what was happening inside of Jonah. The point isn't to debate, could a man stay alive in a fish? The point of the story is, what is happening inside the heart of Jonah? The book of Jonah is not to be analyzed and scrutinized. It's meant to cause us to worship. We are meant to worship the God of relentless grace that is revealed within this book when we see a man graciously spared by a holy God. Let's look at the deep, deep prayer of Jonah now. You have, to, you have to smell the text here, okay? Don't worry. It doesn't smell like fish guts. It reeks of grace. Listen and smell and breathe in the deep, relentless grace of Yahweh in Jonah's prayer. Keep your fingers on the verses. We're going to read a few and then comment on them. Look at verse 2. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, 
and you heard my voice. Amazing. Jonah is a rebellious, on-the-run prophet, totally dissing the Lord, and he finally gets caught. He's trapped in the belly of a fish, and he cries out to the Lord in prayer, and Yahweh listens. It's grace. It's amazing grace that God would listen to him. Jonah says, I went down to Sheol. Sheol is sometimes translated as the grave or death. It's the general Hebrew word that the authors in the Old Testament will use for, for the underworld. It's where they believed everyone's spirit went when they departed this world. So Jonah is saying, I'm as good as dead. I, it was a near-death experience for Jonah. He's saying, I, am, I was dead meat. I, I was a goner. Now look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. See, even though it was the sailors who actually threw Jonah overboard, ultimately, Jonah knows it was the Lord who did it. Jonah now recognizes Yahweh's sovereignty and Yahweh's control over his life because now the ocean has engulfed Jonah. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple again. Jonah, like Adam and Eve, had been uh, driven away from the Lord's sight, but it was not the Lord's doing here. It was Jonah's own actions. We don't have time to go into the Hebrew here, but I think the Hebrew is letting us into Jonah's thoughts. As he was in the belly of the fish, it began to to dawn on Jonah, I'm going to die. I think Jonah is saying here, I thought I would be banished forever from your presence because of my sin. I thought I'd never get to see your holy temple again. He thought he was going to die. He thought he'd never gaze again upon the beauty of Yahweh in the holy temple, in the sanctuary. Now, Jonah doesn't want to die because he wants to see the Lord again. Before this, I do believe that Jonah wanted to die. I think that's why he told the sailors, throw me overboard. Because if he wanted the sea to stop raging, all he had to do was say, Lord, forgive me. I'll go to Nineveh. And I think the Lord would have stopped the sea. I think Jonah wanted to die. They threw him over. He got swallowed by the fish. And now, as he sat in the belly of that fish for three days, he realized, I don't want to die. I want to live. And I want to gaze upon the Lord's face again in his sanctuary. But I think he thinks it's too late. Look at verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah thought he was a goner. And he says here in Hebrew, it's literally the water was up to my neck. He's, he's totally surra- surrounded by water, seaweed, it, seaweeds wrapping around him. So I kind of picture Jonah squirming in the dark belly of the fish, trying to stay afloat, trying to get all the seaweed unwrapped off his head, trying to breathe. Meanwhile, he's crying out to the Lord to spare his life. I think Jonah's thinking to himself, you know, stupid seaweed, get off me. Ugh, wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. I'll never see Yahweh in his glory in the temple again. Oh, what have I done? I'm going to die. And then here comes grace again. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah was learning that no matter how far south things or people go, the sovereign Lord is there and he is willing to work to bring about redemption. 
So whatever's happening in your life, don't give up. Look up to God. The Lord was relentlessly pursuing Jonah with his grace. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has figuratively and literally sunk to his lowest point. He's as good as dead. He is at the bottom of the barrel. He is in a pit, but he remembered how gracious and merciful Yahweh is, the God of grace. And so from the belly of this fish, Jonah's prayer ascends to the temple in heaven. Jonah's prayer travels from the lowest spot on the earth in the deepest places of the ocean in the darkest places of the ocean and he utters his prayer and it travels and it is heard by the lord in heaven i think jonah knew that some of the israelites in the northern kingdom of israel had forsaken the lord and i think he realized i now belong to their group i'm a rebel i'm now in danger of forsaking the hope that i had in yahweh's love but the lord got his attention and so now Jonah promises and makes vows to the Lord he's you know if you get me out of this God then I'll go to Nineveh and I'll tell them what you wanted me to tell them and I will go to your temple again and, and worship and offer sacrifices to you just get me out of this mess and we see God's relentless grace look at verse 10 again and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land Notice that the Lord commanded the fish here to swallow Jonah and to spit him out, and the fish obeyed. The fish is a literary foil here to point out Jonah's hesitancy to obey. The Lord told Jonah, I want you to go preach. Jonah didn't do it. The Lord talks to the wind and the plant and the sea and the fish, and his creation obeys him immediately. And yet it's a literary foil for Jonah, the prophet of the Lord who does not want to obey. And so... The fish vomits Jonah out upon dry land. All of a sudden, vomiting never sounded so good, did it? The upchuck of redemption gets Jonah back on track. It shows us that no matter how far south things or people go, the sovereign Lord is there and is willing to work to bring about redemption. So whatever's happening in your life today, Grace, don't give up. Look up to the Lord and cry out to him and let your prayer ascend to his throne. He is there. He's willing to work to bring about redemption no matter what's happening in your life. What lessons can we learn from Jonah? Lesson number one, God wanted Jonah to be a sign for other people. The Lord could have just grabbed another prophet to do the work, right? The Lord says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh because of their sin. Jonah doesn't want to do it. I'm going to take Micah or whoever else and send them. The Lord could have done that. The Lord wanted to use Jonah in his lifetime and beyond to be a sign to other people of the power of God's relentless grace when people run from him. One commentator said this, God brought Jonah back so that the prophet himself might be a sign. His life would embody the message he preached. 
Jonah's life testified to the fact that God judged a sinner without partiality, found him guilty, and cast him into the watery abyss. But from this abyss, abyss, the Lord lifted a guilty, condemned sinner to life and service. The sign of Jonah proclaims the gospel truth about the justice and mercy of God. So no matter how bad you have messed up your life, it will not be for naught. It will not be for nothing. God can and will bring about redemption. Just trust him. If you need a case study, look at the life of Jacob in in the book of Genesis. He's married to two sisters. Wrap your brain around that. Has two midwives, four ladies in one house vying for one man's attention. He ends up having women, uh, children with all four women. It sounds like a Jerry Springer episode, doesn't it? One man, four women, 12 kids. From those four women come the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of those tribes comes our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It is a picture of the power of God's relentless grace to work in such a way to bring about redemption no matter how messed up your life is. God specializes in redemption. He specializes in not taking squeaky clean families and situations. He specializes in taking messed up families who have been wrecked as a result of Genesis 3. He specializes in taking those families and the situations that they find themselves in. And as they lift them up to him, he specializes in redemption. In taking that messed up situation in family and working to bring about redemption for the good of those people and the glory of his name. It doesn't matter how dark or messed up your life is, God can and will work to bring redemption. He's good at it. It's his forte. It's his specialty. Give me a group of messed up sinners and watch what I can do with them, is what the Lord would say. God loves to take messed up lives and situations and bring something beautiful and glorious out of it. Lesson number two, God wants to save you from you. We're going to talk more about this in two weeks, but the book of Jonah is about a relentless God who wants to save sinners from themselves. Jonah wanted control. He wanted to call the shots, but God wanted to save Jonah from Jonah. God doesn't merely want to save and forgive you grace. He wants to transform you. He is committed to your transformation and my transformation that he will do anything. He will even use a great fish to make you more like his son. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to transform you in your life, in your situation, in your family, in your job, and make you more like his son. Understand this grace. Learn a lesson about grace here. Grace not only forgives the bad things you do, grace transforms you out of the bad thing that you are. God's not just interested in forgiving your sins. God wants to forgive your sins through the message of the gospel, through Jesus Christ. And then he embarks on a transformation process that will last your entire lifetime. He doesn't just want to say, wipe away their sins. Let's just wait for Jesus to come back. 
He wants to transform you until his son comes back. And on that final day, then you will be transformed. But until then, he starts the process. And he will not stop. God's relentless grace not only forgives you, it changes you. It transforms you. God isn't interested merely in forgiving you. He wants also to change you to transform you. He wants to save you from you. As Jonah stated in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. God wants to save you from you. And he might use a fish to do so. Or a neighbor. Or a spouse. Or children. Or a mother-in-law. Or a co-worker. Or a church member or a traffic jam at In-N-Out or Starbucks, or a sermon. He'll use anything to make you more like Jesus. That's how much he loves you. Lesson number three, God saves us according to his covenant love. I skipped over it intentionally, but look again at Jonah chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The word steadfast love here is one of the most important words in the Hebrew Bible. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It's such an incredible word that we we can't come up with enough English words to describe it adequately. It entails steadfast love, as some translations say, merciful kindness, loyalty, faithfulness, commitment, devotion, covenant, loyal love. All of those words are our attempt to capture this Hebrew word hesed. All of these ideas are an attempt to capture the covenant love of God that pursues us down when we run from him. God is steadfast in his love. He is merciful and kind. He is loyal, faithful, committed, and devoted to his people. He is loyal to his covenant people, and he loves us with a covenant love. But do you want to know where I found the best definition of the Hebrew word hesed? It comes from my favorite children's Bible, which parents, I recommend you get. The Jesus Storybook Bible. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones describes God's love this way. It's the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what God's love is like. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God put his love on display in Jesus. God put his money where his mouth was. God backed up what he said. He sent Jesus because we were all born sinners. We were all born runners, running from God because of Adam's sin, which has come down to us. We are all born just like Jonah. We are Jonah, but God will never stop loving us or chasing us down. No matter how far down we go, 
he is there. No matter how far south things or people go, the sovereign Lord is there and he is willing to work to bring about redemption. So grace, don't give up. Look up. God is intent on bringing redemption about in your life. All you got to do is say, here's this messy, messy life I give to you, God. Would you take it and do wonders with it for your glory? Am I good? He would be thrilled to do that because that's the kind of God that we serve. I think it would be fitting to close with the words to the hymn by George Matheson, O love that will not let me go. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your relentless grace and mercy that has been on my tail my entire life. Every time I look over my shoulder, God, you are there. Thank you for your love that will not let me go for your love that will not let us go. You're so amazing, and I'm astonished that you don't just throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up, because I turn so many times from you to find pleasure in other things, to make other things my treasure, to find joy in other things, God. And I know that my brothers and sisters here today could say their life is like that too. Thank you for being so merciful, so persistent, and so stubborn. Thank you for your grace. Continue to transform us until we see your son face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 